There's lots of things not to like about a Monday morning, but one thing there is to like about a Monday morning is that it's time for another Religious Studies Project podcast. I'm David Robertson. I'm not David Robertson. I'm also not David Robertson. They are Tommy Coleman and Christopher Cotter, and we are still here in Edinburgh at what's become RSP headquarters for the day as we scheme into the next year. Dun, dun, dun. This week we have an interview recorded for us by Stephen Jones and it's with Dr. Salman Hamid on the subject of religion, science and evolutionary theory. So take it away. Well, hello everyone. Um, my name is Stephen Jones. Uh, I'm a uh, research fellow at Newman University and we're here in Birmingham in the UK I'm here with uh, Salman Hamid, who is Associate Professor of Integrated Science and Humanities at Hampshire College in the United States. And we're going to be talking today a bit about religion and science, and more specifically about Islam and science and Muslim perceptions of science and evolution. Uh, welcome, Salman. Um, glad you could be here with us. Um, I wonder if I'd ask you just first of all uh, a bit about how you became involved in the study of Muslims and science and, and what your work involves, really. Well, thank you very much for having me here. Um, and I should mention, so I'm probably coming from a completely different uh, angle because I was trained as an astronomer. And I got interested because uh, I was fascinated by beliefs in UFOs and aliens and flying saucers and things like that. And so from that perspective, I started thinking about why smart students, for example, believe in things that actually have no evidence from the science perspective. And in some sense, I got interested because to me, in many ways, it, it seemed like a religious belief in certain ways that, well, UFOs, some people give meaning to that. They actually, they are become very important for them. Uh, but then later on, uh, I got a position at uh, Hampshire College, which was uh, quite, uh, gave me quite independence to uh, approach however subjects that I wanted to approach. And I got interested in the topic of what I was hearing at the time was the rise of Islamic creationism. And to me, there was a parallel to it because, okay, so the rejection of evolution in the face of overwhelming evidence, to me, it, there was a parallel to the way people believe in UFOs in the face of overwhelming evidence that, well, we have not been visited by aliens. And so that got me interested in I'm, my background, I'm originally from Pakistan. And so I was familiar with uh, the debates within Muslim societies that have taken place. And I had heard a little bit about creationism as well. And so that's when I thought, well, maybe it's an interesting topic to explore a bit further. Yeah. And when you say explore, I mean, you, your own work... Most, I think, of the discussion around science and religion, and this goes probably across different religious traditions, whether that's Christianity or Islam, it tends to be at a sort of theological or philosophical level. Uh, your, your work sort of differs from that, doesn't it? It's more empirically based. It's, it's sort of social research, going out and talking with people. That's, could you say a little bit about that, perhaps? Yeah, so, I mean, in some sense, I'm less interested in what, ought to be the normative relationship between Islam and evolution. Um, I think 
to a certain degree, uh, I do have another cap because I do uh, oftentimes give public lectures uh, on that in Pakistan or other places. And from that perspective, I do say, well, I mean, um, I do take a stance and that is um, more likely non-overlapping magisteria, which was Stephen Jay Gould, the biologist's position that, well, science and religion are two separate spheres. And to me, from a practical perspective, and again, not from a philosophical perspective, because there are critiques of that and things like that. But I think from a practical, pragmatic purposes, that to a certain degree works. Uh, but that, to me, that is not the most interesting question. Uh, to me, the most interesting question is how do people make sense of the world that they live in uh, and the world that is shaped by modern science, but in societies where religion is really important. And that is a question that so you have to, you can explore the issue of evolution. And one of the reasons why uh, I thought evolution would be a good topic to explore science in Muslim societies is because there is an overwhelming, uh, in some sense, a narrative that was shaped in the late 19th century for various reasons. Uh, we, can't, we don't have to go into that, but that Islam and science are compatible. In fact, if you ask most people, and we have tried to ask uh, some people, and there are some polls out as well, and if you say, well, what is the relationship between Islam and science? And oftentimes you will get the answer, well, it's great. Without the Muslim public. Within the Muslim public, within the Muslim population, right? But that may not give us any much more information because if everybody says that, then it actually, it's not a useful question. So we, or I got interested in the question that, well, but if you think about evolution, and we were hearing about these various kinds of res Muslim responses to that, then potentially we will be able to explore a little bit more about, well, this reflexive answer. And I don't mean to say this reflexive in a bad way. I'm just saying that it's a reflexive answer about Islam and science compatibility. But I think it becomes, you, you start to get into a little bit of the more nuances when you start thinking about evolution because evolution has challenged religious views in general. But you have many various responses to that questions actually have dependent upon cultural societies, individuals. And so we wanted to explore how does that match up with what is going on in Muslim societies? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned a moment ago uh, your interest in some senses coming out of this perception of an emerging Islamic creationism. That, and, and one sees this in, in the UK, in this country, We've had certain media articles out recently about um, Muslim university students creating problems for teachers of evolution, that they somehow would reject it. And, and a sense that in, this, in much the same way as uh, Muslims are kind of bringing religion to the public stage, as it were, in this country, they are presenting certain challenges to secular norms and, and belief in evolution being one of those in a way. I, what what is your take, I mean, based on your, your own research, what's your take on that kind of media narrative that, that there is a kind of burgeoning Islamic creationism that is potentially uh, a danger to, to secular norms, to ways of teaching, to those kinds of things in Europe, for example, in the US as well? And so this is a really complicated issue because this news of rejection of evolution gets framed into the threat to the education system or the threat to secular values. But whereas, whereas there are a lot of other things that are taking place. 
So first of all, it's not about Islam. Uh, because uh, there are a billion Muslims out there and there are all these various societies and cultures. And there is no single Islamic position on evolution because, uh, and one of the reasons is, uh, is that there is no central Pope-like authority within Islam and so you have variations within it. But even at a more pra practical level, we actually know that evolution is taught in public high schools, in biology classes, in several Muslim-majority countries. So, for example, in Pakistan, uh, right in the ninth grade biology textbook, evolution is presented as a fact of science. So is the case in Malaysia, so is the case in, uh, uh, in Turkey as well, although in Turkey there, are, there is a local uh, tension about it between the government and depending upon which government it is within the Islamists or the secularists and th there have been efforts to bring in intelligent design like elements in it. but overall evolution is still there so and, and we also know that in Iran it is included uh, in the textbooks but in all of these places human evolution is not mentioned but evolution is certainly there. So even when we talk about evolution, what are we addressing? We have to uh, sort of like look at it in a, in a little bit more detail. So as it can be seen purely from the perspective of textbooks, evolution is not an issue in Muslim countries as well. Yes, uh, there are the textbooks are there. There are not every place. It's the complete a secular perspective that is given, but there are variations of that. In Pakistan, the interesting example is that uh, the chapter on evolution uh, starts with actually a Quranic verse, but that's it. After that, it just presents science as is. So, of course, you can ask this question, well, why is there a Quranic verse on the evolution chapter, but not on some other chapter? Well, obviously, the people who are writing textbooks are aware that it can be can potentially be controversial. So they are saying actually that, well, actually, Quran doesn't contradict evolution. So this is, I'm not saying that this is the Islamic position, but this is a position that Muslim textbook writers in Pakistan have taken to support the teaching of evolution. So in that, so, so knowing that context that, well, there are various responses to it. And I should also mention that in Saudi Arabia is one of the well, few Muslim countries where creationism is the standard thing and their textbooks actually explicitly go anti-evolution. So, again, so some Muslim countries, it's a textbook. In a few, it's against it. So there are variations yeah. to that. So when we are talking about British context or if there are students walking out, well, we have to understand it, what's going on in England. And this particular story, actually, I followed quite a bit when it actually really made headlines. Uh, it was based upon uh, an anecdote um, by biologist, also Steve Jones, <laughs> not you, but, no. <laughs> but and, and it was in the middle of an interview that he gave to the London Times in which he was asked about the state of science in England. And in the middle of the interview, he had just said that, well, I used to have students walk out and they were used to be mostly Christians. Now the students who walk out are mostly Muslim. Okay, so first of all, he wasn't talking about majority of the students who walk out, majority of the Muslim students who walk out. He said majority of the students who walk out now are Muslims. Okay, 
But the newspaper headline from that interview was that Muslim students walking out or boycotting evolution classes. Well, and that particular newspaper headline was covered all over the world because it fit a particular narrative that, well, Muslims are rejecting evolution. And there is no, it wasn't based upon any data. It wasn't based upon some kind of study that actually looked at it in a systematic way. It was simply an anecdote. What is really happening? Well, we don't know. All we know is because, because remember, there is also this, 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 uh, this uh, asymmetry because if Muslims accept evolution within the context, say for example in England, it's not going to be a news item. It will become a news item only when you reject. So we actually don't know what is the true acceptance or rejection rate of Muslims and what does evolution means because uh, again, human evolution, I can imagine that that can be more of a problem, but evolution itself, I mean, if it's being talked in textbooks and other places, how does that feature? You, you spoke a bit a moment ago about, about variations across different countries, and I know you've done research uh, on the ground in various different parts of the world. Um, could you say a little bit perhaps about how, I mean, aside from the teaching of evolution or not in different, in different political contexts, how that impacts on variations in how widely accepted evolution is, what we do not I mean, given, given limitations of research and so on. Are there particular countries within Muslim-majority contexts that stand out for their high levels of rejection or low? Uh, what do we know about, about the areas? So I can talk a little bit about the service, and I did actually oral interviews. And the project that we were running was interviewing medical students and medical doctors in several Muslim-majority countries. And the reason why we looked at just this tiny fraction is because you can actually compare then apples with apples. So doctors and medical students in different countries. And these interviews were all in English and they were all done by me. So there was like, you know, so we tried to reduce the variables so we can at least potentially say within their context what's going on. So let me just give you an example of two countries Pakistan and Malaysia, uh, because I think uh, those were both results were surprising and they also give you a flavor of this diversity of what to do with that. So, and let me just talk about the question of human evolution. In Malaysia, we interviewed about 30 uh, doctors and, um, and medical students and only one accepted human evolution. And this is just the question of human evolution. I mean, there are variations of that. But overall, if you say, well, uh, do you think humans came from, um, from and, and like species uh, from other, are connected to other species that evolved over billions of years, only one person accepted that. But when we did that in Pakistan, we got about half of the students. Uh, and we had a sample uh, in Pakistan of about 45 students and, um, and, and medical doctors that actually were okay, even with human evolution. Now, when analyzing the data, we find that in Malaysia, there was a, just even if you ask the question about evolution, forget about human evolution, even if you ask the question about what do you know about evolution, most people in, Mal in most people that we interviewed responded by saying, well, evolution is against Islam. And then they moved on further and later on in the interview, they may even be okay with 
microbial evolution and stuff. But just this particular question, what do you know about evolution? Their response was, well, it's against Islam. Okay. Now, in Pakistan, we found that if you ask the same questions, and our questions were identical in different countries. So when we asked this question in Pakistan, their initial response was like, I don't know. What do we know about evolution? Not much. I don't remember. Okay. And then we would later on, when we would ask about, for example, human evolution, there was a whole range of responses where people are thinking right there and then. In some sense, to us, what it looks like is that there is a particular narrative that is far more established in Malaysia that there is a clash between evolution and Islam and evolution is actually rejected, is rejection of evolution in some sense is part of their definition of Islam. In Pakistan, that is not the case because for, and, and we are trying to analyze why that might be the case, but we have a hunch and one hunch is that, well, in Pakistan, it has never been an issue of contention. It has not been brought up into political debates. It has just not been as a as a polarizing element, evolution has not been used by that. In Malaysia, we think that a whatever pathway there was, and we, we're trying to figure out how did this kind of evolution rejection actually featured in, uh, but we think it's also because of large minorities in there, which are ethnic Chinese and ethnic Indian, uh, which are about which comprise about forty percent of Malaysian population. And religion itself is an identity, is an ethnic marker as well. So Malay population in Malaysia are all Muslims. And the Chinese and Indian populations are also more prosperous. And so when we were interviewing Malaysian doctors and students and we asked them, well, the teacher that taught your biology class way back, that's, and most people actually heard first about evolution in their primary, in their school, schooling. Did that person accepted or rejected evolution? Well, oftentimes they use the marker, well, he was Chinese, so probably accepted evolution. Or they would say, oh, he was a Muslim, so probably rejected evolution. So their, their, their sense of how do they measure rejection or evolution was actually strictly on the lines of their ethnic identity marker. Uh, whereas in Pakistan, actually, it was all over the map. Uh, and in fact, in uh, the same question about teaching, actually, most people actually didn't remember what the teacher said, but rather whether it was in the textbook or not. So whether it was in the textbook, so probably they accepted it. So it, so that's where sort of like you know, these variations come in. I'd like to ask just about one more context, if I may, um, about Turkey in a bit more depth. Just because I think for English-speaking audiences... They have a certain familiarity with Harun Yahya, the, the semi-well-known uh, creationist advocate who is from Turkey. And, and that kind of shapes the, the debate about Islam and science, in, in, certainly in the UK, I imagine in the US too, to a certain extent. I mean, what could you say about that particular country and, and where figures like him fit into it, if, if, if at all? Is, how, how does that play out? So again, Harun Yahya... Uh, his actual name is Adnan Okta, but he has to be uh, understood in two different contexts. One is Harun Yahya in Turkey, and then Harun Yahya in Europe. And I'm explicitly saying Europe, and actually in other, maybe in, in other Muslim countries as well. And I think those are two completely different things. Within Turkey, he has a history, and 
he was doing other things before he started talking about evolution. And so he was never taken very seriously within Turkey. Now, we still weren't sure uh, whether there, I mean, there is no empirical data about um, sort of Turkish population's views on Harun Yahya. Uh, but in our interviews, we actually had a question that we asked everybody uh, in, in Turkey and in other places. Have they ever heard of somebody named Harun Yahya? And what was interesting was that actually in um, most Muslim countries, actually, even if they had heard of him, they didn't, had, they had not heard of him because of his evolution views. Because we also asked them, like, you know, do you know his views on evolution? Uh, sometimes he was known simply because he has a lot of books. So, so first of all, a fraction, I would say about less than a quarter of our respondents in the Muslim majority countries knew, had heard of Harun Yahya. And when they have heard of it, very few knew of him through the evolution context. Rather, they knew of him through, say, yeah, he's a scholar, he's an Islamic scholar and various forms and things like that. Within Turkey, everybody had heard of him. But very few people, and, and we interviewed about 40 people in Turkey as well, again, medical students and medical doctors. And I would say even people who reject evolution, they also were skeptical about Harun Yahya. And again, because within the Turkish context, people don't take him seriously. Uh, and um, I should also mention that uh, I happened to be in Istanbul actually working uh, on this data when, there was, when the first creationist conference took place at a university campus. And that was actually a big deal. That was at a University of Marmara uh, two years ago. And uh, this was the first time that a conference on creationism, specifically anti-evolution, was ever being held inside a university campus. There was riot police outside. There was there were protests, and uh, and the protests were actually by academics, uh, and they were and they had pictures of Harun Yahya outside. Saying like, you know, that this is all creationism and Harun Yahya and the, at that time, I think he was the prime minister, Erdogan, his pictures. And I'm, uh, me and my, my, uh, my colleague, we managed to get in. We, we said like, you know, we, we are studying. So we attended the conference. And when we went inside, there was virtually no presence of Harun Yahya. Okay, so that was interesting. And in fact, th there were actually representatives of Harun Yahya who looked very odd and very different. Uh, and I, it is hard to describe that, but we could actually see them. I mean, we were like, oh, where are the Harun Yahya people? There are all these speakers lined up. There is all this audience. We expected, and again, from the just the protests outside as well, you would have expected all Harun Yahya. But actually, uh, there was no presence of that except for these four people that were there. And they were dressed in all white. And uh, I mean, and again, I don't want to belittle uh, these things, but they did look like something like, you know, that they have come out from another planet because they just stood out. Uh, and we actually managed to talk to them um, as well at the conference. And, uh, and I interviewed and I talked to the organizers and I asked them about Harun Yahya and they had one speaker. So this was a two-day conference. I would say, that, I mean, I, I, I forget uh, the total number of speakers. Probably there were like uh, 18, 19 speakers. There was one Harun Yahya speaker in there. So 
I mean, I think, and and again, who were the participants? Uh, a lot of the participants were people. Uh, there's a movement called Gulen movement uh, in Turkey. A lot of them were there, but the key organizer was actually not part of the Gulen movement. He was just a religious. I mean, very smart guy. But he just wanted to have a conference and his point of view was, and this is where a, I have to be cautious when I'm saying that on like, you know, podcast or what message that people take. But I wanted to say like, you know, that he was actually quite savvy. And what his point was, whether we agree or disagree with him on evolution or not, his point was that at a university, you should have a room to debate. And he was saying that we have always been forced. And again, that's his word, like, you know, forced into uh, learning about Darwin and evolution. We want an alternative viewpoint also that can be debated on campus. And he said that what's going outside, and he was pointing to the protest outside, and he was like, look, they are trying to stifle debate on this issue. So you cannot have this notion of freedom of speech and also a protest when they try to stop people from going into a conference. So that was an interesting take, and we should not just simply dismiss it, even just because we disagree with what is being presented, but within the Turkish context, where there has been official secular, uh, constitutionally it's a secular country, and evolution has played a role politically. I mean, we've been talking about the European context, but in the same way, rejection of evolution for a long time has been used as showing the ignorance of the conservative uh, people over there. So it's a messy and complex picture. And again, and that's, uh, and I guess, one of the things perhaps to take away from this, and I can, like, which is not rocket science, uh, you know, is like you have to address whether you're talking about Harun Yahya or whether you're talking about rejection or acceptance of evolution in terms of these individual contexts. And so to say, well, what is, how do, and people sometimes do ask, so what do Muslims think about evolution? And my answer is, I have no idea. It depends upon which Muslims, it depends upon which context. Uh, it's a, it's a messy, complex picture, which it should be because humans are messy and complex. And this just represents Muslims are humans too. <laughs> it, it sounds a bit like, I mean, from, from the Turkish case that you're talking about, that's, that, Evolution, like a, a lot of things, I suppose, is is bound up with um, politicized notions of kind of modernity, of um, rationality, and that being tied in a certain way to kind of westernness in in inverted commas, and and that that's uh, much of the the conflict that we see in the Turkish context might be related to kind of colonial and post-colonial histories across the world, and and those kinds of things. I mean, there are, are there other kinds of Examples of that kind of that kind of history playing out that you're aware of, right? But but also, but, but remember that Turkey was never colonized, so, well, so yes, it has a, of course. But it had a, but, but it had a very specific. Mm-hmm. I mean, with Ataturk, there was this yeah, secular precisely. movement, like you know. So so it plays within that, and it and evolution played a role, like you know. Okay, so if you are modern and if you are secular, then yes, you accept evolution. So so evolution takes a particular potentially can take a particular stance to it. But the counterexample to it is Pakistan, for example, like, you know, where actually it doesn't show up in those debates. And there is a Pakistan Museum of Natural History has uh, an exhibit on evolution. And Pakistan Museum of Natural History is actually supported by the government. So state-sponsored museum. Uh, but 
Historically, yes, it has been, uh, those kind of debates have taken place. And in the South Asian context, which I'm most familiar with, uh, even in the late 19th century, so there were debates between uh, Jamaluddin Afghani, who was a scholar who, like, you know, was also anti-colonial, specifically anti-British, excuse me for that, but like, you know, it's <laughs> just a matter of fact. But, but right, and, but he also uh, objected, uh, he denied, or he rejected evolution uh, in a pamphlet that he wrote when he was visiting India. He actually gave a talk as well, and in the 1880s, but, and, and it was called the refutation of the materialists. So remember, so, so this again goes back to this question of what does evolution mean, or what does evolution stand for? And for him, evolution stood for being materialists, which in in the context uh, at that time was being atheists as well. Now, if you look at what he was saying, oftentimes it, it's unclear whether he had ever read Origin of Species because he attributed things to Darwin, which uh, he Darwin never said. So what was he responding to? Well, within the South Asian or within the Indian context at the time of the 1880s, there was Sayyid Ahmad Khan, who was, uh, or sorry, he was knighted, so Sayyid, Sayyid Ahmad Khan, who was arguing that the response to colonialism is actually to learning English and to learning Western views. And he thought that anything British is actually good, including evolution. It's unclear whether he also read Origin of Species <laughs> or not, but he was a deep proponent of learn of evolution. Right. So when Afghani was responding to that, when he's denying evolution, actually he was arguing with Sayyid Ahmad Khan and not the concept of biological evolution. It was a deeply political issue right from the get-go. Now, I will just give it a final twist to this thing that Afghani was also uh, is attributed to somebody who actually uh, presented Islam in the sense that Islam is a modern religion. And that Islam, and he also understood that science, modern science at the time, is essential for the development of any nation or any society. And so he thought that Muslims must learn modern science. So towards the end, and this was actually published after his death, but uh, about his thoughts on um, several things, including evolution. And towards the end, actually. He did said, well, evolution actually is a valid idea of science. But interestingly, he gave it a twist to that. And he says, and of course, evolution was actually accepted by Muslim scholars of the 9th, 10th century anyways. And in fact, he called Darwin a mere specimen collector. Okay, so this, so this is another angle to it that even when he accepted evolution, he actually appropriated evolutionary idea and gave it a valence of Muslim stuff that, okay, well, this is not a foreign idea. That was a Muslim idea to begin with. So as you can see, I mean, like, you know, that there are many things that are taking place in there. And it's not, I mean, if we are talking about these things, it's not exactly about evolution, but it's about all of these other things uh, that happen. And not to dismiss that, like, you know, but for some people, it is a deeply personal issue as well. So I don't want to dismiss that for, uh, that it's not, um, something that people really think about, struggle with. I think evolution is a tough idea. I mean, it challenges certain types of religious viewpoints. So do Muslims reject evolution? Yes, some Muslims reject evolution. 
Do all Muslims like evolution? No. Do all Muslims accept evolution? No. And uh, and so there are these variations and how they do that, it depends upon uh, their ways. And sometimes it's not even an important question about whether the people are consistent with their religious and scientific viewpoints as well. I guess it's sort of salience emerges in the context of yeah. political... Just, I mean, it's interesting, of course, Afghani... Um, was one of the figures who, in some ways, helped shape the Salafi movement we see today. So it kind of plays out in, in contemporary politics as well. Exactly. Um, and and so, so we have to know these kind of context of how the word evolution has also been used. And within the Muslim world, I mean, there are... Uh, people are familiar and that actually shows goes back to the European context as well. I mean, for some people, it's uh, social Darwinism. It's Spencerian. Spencerianism sort of like that really shows up. So um, for many people, they don't see the distinction between biological evolution and social Darwinism. And for them, oh, social Darwinism, of course, that's a racist idea. I reject evolution. So, so again, that takes a very different connotation especially if you are in Europe and there is a history, a colonial history, or in places that have been colonized. One, one final question just to, to end on. I, I, wonder, I mean, you spoke a, a bit earlier about, I guess, the, the lack of understanding, the lack of knowledge that we have about this question as, a kind of, as an empirical question about what people believe. Um, what, what would you say do we need to try and find out? What, what's the kind of the research agenda, I guess you might say? That, that we should be trying within universities and, and the wider research community to try and understand how science and Muslim societies interact and how evolution specifically is, is understood across the Muslim world again in yeah, in comments. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think well, that's a really hard question. And, uh, and I would say, okay, so I come from, again, from the science background and so, and, uh, and, I have really lost faith in a lot of the uh, polling, for example. I mean, where, so for example, Pew poll, uh, there was a Pew poll that looked at uh, evolution, Muslim views on evolution in 32 countries. The problem was that the poll was about all these different things and there was one question on evolution. So all about evolution was reduced into one particular question and that's, do you accept evolution or not? I don't think that is very useful. So if you are trying to understand that, I mean, for me, evolution is a way to look at how people are making sense of the world. So if you want to do that, I think the way to approach it within the context, within the academic context, uh, would be to embrace the messiness. And I think uh, how do you... And this is something that you and I have also discussed about this. How do you qualify or how do you quantify the real messiness of people's responses? Uh, and this is a hard problem. Nevertheless, that is closer to reality. I think it's right now in the political environment we are in. Simplicity, I think, is far more dangerous than having no answers. Simplistic wrong answers, uh, like for example, we talked about that narrative that well, Muslims are Muslims are just boycotting across the UK. Well, that's a far dangerous, far more dangerous uh, um, sort of like uh, narrative than saying that actually it's really messy and we don't understand. And the way to understand would be to actually look at the layers of uh, of uh, of the way people are looking at and to remember then Muslims are not identified 
their identity is not solely being a Muslim. Everybody has different identities in the, in themselves. And so if we just focus on Muslims for being a Muslim, then I think we are missing a boat on that because they can be Muslims, but they can also be Manchester United fans. And so then their identity is a different identity. So I think that kind of messiness, if we bring to understanding what evolution means to them, and if it's not, that's okay too, because, but don't force them to pick the choice or accept you, accept or reject evolution if they don't even care about the question of evolution. I think that is something that has been missing. What if you don't care? But if you just force them to make a choice, then it may show up in a much more simplistic picture. So, Anami, thank you very much. Thank you very much. A very interesting interview, I'm sure you'll agree. Um, Tommy, you had some thoughts about it, didn't you? Uh, I did. Uh, I was actually interested in responding to this interview uh, and was uh, I was a little bit surprised. I thought it was going to be more um, uh, in the social, psychological, evolutionary sciences um, type of interview, but I was uh, pleasantly surprised um, that it wasn't and was actually um, about uh, evolutionary theory, science, and uh, the teaching of it, its perception uh, in the largely Muslim world. So uh, mm-hmm. that was very interesting, and I had not heard of his work before. And uh, we also have the transcription available for this interview um, on the page if you are interested in um, reading it in more detail. Yeah, and it ties in very well um, with our interview that Jack Sonis did uh, a few years ago with Peter Harrison on science and religion in historical perspective. Um, so we'll try and link to that from the page, um, but do check that out. I've actually used snippets from that interview about three or four times in teaching thus far, so it's well worth checking out on that sort of the creation myth of the science-religion conflict. And it's great to hear another take another angle on that uh, issue. So next week, um, we've got an interview that Sydney's recorded for us on the study of religion in Peru. So we're building up quite a collection of these, the study of religion in different contexts. And it'll be great to hear about um, the academic discipline in that context, which will be perhaps quite different from the where the majority of our listeners are based. Um, so that'll be good. As ever, don't forget you can help the project out at no cost to yourself by using our Amazon affiliate links. That's .co.uk, .com and .ca. They really do make a big difference to us, so please do consider using them. As ever, you can follow us on Facebook and we are amassing quite a number of followers. I think we're approaching 4,000 500 by this point um you can follow us on twitter you can if you must you can follow us on google plus we are on youtube and that is really starting to take off and um don't forget to use our itunes and if you do please leave us a link uh leave us a rating because that really helps us get the podcast out to people who wouldn't otherwise hear it um we want to thank our sponsors the basr the naasr and the iahr but other than that thanks for listening Mm -hmm.